1 Corinthians 15. Um, last week, I began an overview of this chapter. We've been cruising through, some of you will say, well, define cruising. Cruising through the book of Corinthians, we are in our uh, sixth plus year of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and we probably have another six to go. Because um, last week when I we were together, I had taken an overview of the New Testament dealing with the resurrection. Um, and I, now I want to sort of take this big, broad picture that I have given on the resurrection, and then I want to drop it into now chapter 15. And then in the weeks to come, we will drop it into verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, so that... Uh, I believe that this is one of the most vital issues that um, we deal with, uh, is the resurrection. And the reason that I believe that is that I, I hear people say, well, I need to learn how to share the gospel. Well, pardon my bluntness, if you need to learn how to share the gospel, then you just need to get saved. Because salvation will flush the gospel out of you. And, and you will find yourself not wanting to shut up. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says, If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, what would be the gospel, people? <laughs> um, I know we like to make it more complicated than that, but that's the gospel. And the, but I dealt with that last week that there are some nuances to that that you had better have an understanding of. And one of those understandings is that God raised him from the dead. And I think after today's message, you'll back away from this and say, yeah, there's a little, you got to remember the largest chapter in the book of the, to the Corinthians is what? Chapter 15 and it has one focus. What is the focus? The resurrection. There's 58 verses on the resurrection. So what are you telling me? It's important. It's important. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear. Give us eyes to see. And Father, thrill our hearts that He is the first fruit of the resurrection. And that Father, death no longer has a sting. Death no longer has mastery over us. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Teach us. Teach us. To your glory and praise. Amen. There's a question that appears in this chapter. Chapter uh, 15 verse 12, if Christ is preached and he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? All right, now listen, this church has got some problems. If you look at the first six chapters of this book, you realize that he's dealing with stuff that he's heard. And it isn't until chapter 7 he starts questions about, questions about, questions about. And what is amazing is there's not really a doctrinal issue here. They have just allowed the world and the influence of the world to overtake them. To the point now, some of the philosophies of the world are starting to creep in. And they haven't taken root, but Paul isn't even going to allow the seed to hit the ground. 
I'm crushing this thing before it even has a chance. And, and I, I look at Christians today and we will all say that we believe in the resurrection. And then I watch us live our lives and we're worried about this and we're praying for this. And I can't believe this is happening and the economy's done that. And who's going to be the president? And I'm saying he's raising the dead. What problem do you have? He can't handle. Well, you just don't understand. Oh, no, 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 no. I do understand. I have experienced death, not personally. But I have seen dead people. I've never seen anybody get up out of the grave, but I've been at the graveside where Jesus was and nobody's home. Okay, please understand when we talk about resurrection from the dead, we are talking about a bodily get up and look at me. Death has no victory over me. And I think we miss that at times. Well, I know we do. I know we do. Think about the things that stress you out. Uh, I have a wonderful meeting uh, tomorrow with uh, my dear uncle, the representative of my uncles in Washington. Um, and, and for some crazy reason, uh, I'm indebted to them. I, I don't understand that, but I am. And so we're going to meet tomorrow. I'm giving up my citizenship and tell them I'm being invaded by Cuba. Send money. Uh, <laughs> Well, I've got to think of something. Um, you know, I heard that someone in this congregation got a big refund, and I hope you spend my money well. <laughs> Just thank you, thank you. For all. But, uh, you know, people say, well, you, do, you don't have under. Yeah, I do. Trust me. I have two kids. One finished college. One's in college. One's getting ready to go to college. And you're telling me I ain't got problems? You know, the problem is they keep coming back after college. I'm like, what is that? Let's try empty nest. Just just give me a shot at it. I may be traumatized. OK, but people, I, when I read this text, I say he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. What problem do I have? And it's amazing because all religions have some idea of immortality. I mean, listen, even an atheist has had to wrestle with what happens when you die. Now, they may conclude nothing. You just cease to exist. But they still wrestled with it. They still wrestled. Basically, I can tell you why an atheist comes to that conclusion. It's easy. He loves his sin. Because if there's nothing after this, then whatever I do in this is fine. Okay, that is the simplicity of it. Why? I just don't want there to be no God. Why? What if I bump into him? I mean, that's the simplicity of it. Um, I was doing some research on this and I seen some things with the Assyrians and the Babylonians where they actually had hymns dealing with death and, and the proclamation of death. They had teaching on death and, and the afterlife. Uh, many of you know um, and, and have heard uh, there were some movies out a few years ago, The Mummy and The Mummy Returns and Mummy's Daddy and whatever. Um, and they were talk about uh, the book of the dead. And everybody says, wow, we're going to get to the book. There really was a book of the dead. Okay. But the problem was, is it wasn't exactly the way the movie went. Okay. The book of the dead was a chart for the deceased to navigate his way through the afterlife. 
Okay? And that which is really kind of weird, don't you think? That takes some faith. A live person is going to tell you how to get around in the dead. And, and then when you get, when you find out that they said turn left and you should have gone right, do you go back and get them? What? Um, I, I, well, you know, but they, the, the, the Egyptians understood that you could not enjoy this immortality unless the body was preserved. Okay. And that, therein lies the mummification process that you see, um, that is touted. And that, listen, the Egyptians could do the mummy thing. Um, they had a Pharaoh's head whose hair is all intact. Okay. And the Pharaoh lived at the time of Moses. Okay. And when they got his, uh, mummified body out. And so, I mean, they had the thing down. Uh, they did have one little small problem is that they had to decide who was worthy to be mummified and to live immortal. Um, uh, but they had a great hope in immortality, um, you know, and they would get a copy of the Book of the Dead uh, so that they would be able to kind of navigate around. Even Pharaoh Cheops uh, was buried in a solar boat uh, so he could float through the heavens uh, because he would be immortal and he needed to be able, I, you know, he was in the heavenly river, I, I don't know. Okay, uh, you see it in Indian religions, what we call the Indian religions, uh, Brahmanism and Hinduism, uh, and there's great detail um, on the afterlife. Uh, a, a splinter group of that is Buddhism, uh, and the Buddhism came out with what is the, called the transmigration of souls, and that's Pete and repeat were sitting on a fence, Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat and was set on a and you know and sometimes that was sounds depressing to me. What do you mean I got to come back <laughs> as a billy goat? Uh, <laughs> uh, but 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 it that's where that came out of. You see it in the Persians and in the Greeks. Uh, the Greeks had many gods, uh, and, and once you died, if you had a friend who would put two coins either in your eye or in your mouth, then you would be able to pay the fare to get across the mystic river, the river of the dead, and then you got to spend eternity playing with the gods. Okay. Uh, the Romans had it. Uh, their god of death was uh, Minerva and Jupiter. How would you like to hang out eternity with Minerva? But anyway... Um, if somebody's named that in their middle name, I'll apologize. Um, I don't think you're a goddess of the dead, but maybe. But theirs was a shadowy world, uh, which means that you just seen glimpses of it. Um, you see the Chinese and the Japanese had theirs, but theirs was ancestral worship. They would come back to grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, even the American Indians, you would bury a man with his bow and arrow and many times with his horse because he would be going to the proverbial happy hunting ground. And it'd be tough to be at the happy hunting ground with no bow and arrow. <laughs> I mean, it could, it's not so much happy no more. Um, so there's always been with man, um, there's more to this life than just here. Okay, now, some have concluded some silly things, but man has always been content, um, uh, has been constant to assure that he's, you know, I remember somebody said he, he's more than a gleam of consciousness between 
two death ends. And I thought, that's an interesting um, thought. Uh, that was a philosopher who said that. I always looked at it, protoplasm waiting to become manure. Um, you know, and, you know, man likes to think that he is more than that. Um, and there's a longing there. I mean, you know, one of the questions that we get asked so many times, if, you've, if you're a parent, or if, what happens to your pets? What happens to your loved ones? I mean, we all ask. I mean, you'll get asked that if, if you've got children at some point, don't get pets. Or you're going to get asked the question, where did spot go? Spot removal. No. Um, but I, I share that stuff with you because we struggle. What happens when somebody dies? I get asked that. I get, I get asked that probably more than any singular question. I get asked a lot of questions. Uh, you know, everybody likes to ask a lot about the second coming. But one of the questions is, is what happens to your pet when it dies? Or what happens to an, an infant when it dies? Or what happens to my husband or my wife when they die? Um, and, 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 you know what, we're going to find all this out in the weeks to come because, um, there's three things that, that we lay with, that we have to rationalize with. And, and I, I I just wrote them down because I want you to think about this because did God create the world and then turn his back on it? Okay. Let's be realistic. Anybody who believes in the quote unquote big bang theory has got some astronomical faith because that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. You can't explode something and get organization out of it. I, I'm a man. I, I grew up as a little boy. We had firecrackers. We had M80s. And every time I used one of them little buggers, I never got anything that looked better than the, when I blew it up. You know, whether it was my model car, my model boat, a bucket, <laughs> Whatever it was, uh, I remember one time a little episode with a water fountain at school, um, and and it didn't look more organized afterwards. Okay, um, but you know, did he just create this thing and then walk away from it? Uh, second question is, did he create man and then desert man at the grave? Um, did God create man and plant a desire for immortality in the heart of man and yet not fulfill that immortality? Because there's always, the desire is there. And what I mean by immortality is eternal life, some kind of eternal life. What, what happens after I get out of this, this decomposing body? I, I mean, let's be realistic. Um, have you ever looked at your kid pictures? I mean, like when you were a teenager? Okay, and then you look at in the mirror and you think, man, what happened? Okay, and I mean, and like even if you took care of yourself, you said, oh, man, I don't, I don't understand. Um, a couple of months ago, I wore, no, it's been about six, eight months ago, I wore my uh, the suit that I graduated from high school in. Um, and I thought, well, this is really cool. Uh, I've been working pretty hard here lately, and I tried to put it on yesterday, and uh, it don't fit. What happened? Uh, one time, just look here. I can wear my graduation. What happened? I don't know. Gravity <laughs> pulls on certain things and pushes on other things. Okay, uh, that goes back to evolution. 
At best, we are de-evolving. I don't see, I don't wake up days feeling better. Okay, I mean, I wake up days here lately with, ow, <laughs> is that part of me and why does it hurt? Um, but we, we struggle with these things because there's a tug on the soul that's in, inherent in man. What happens when I die? And you know what? The Word of God confirms this in the consciousness of man. Word of God says, you guys deal with this. You deal with this. Why? This is looking you right in the face. Have you ever heard this phrase? Well, they died so young. Okay. Have you noticed that that age gets higher as you do? Huh? They were 98 and they died. They were so young. <laughs> and the truth that I, I seen a news report today that some guy running a marathon, 101 years old, his first marathon. You know what he trains? You know how he trained for it? I shouldn't say that. We have kids here. Well, they said it on the news. 14 cigarettes a day and eight pints of beer a day. And he's been doing it for, a, for 80 some odd years. And you know what? I mean, other than he has a striking resemblance of that one Forrest Gump episode, um, he acts like he knows what he's doing. And they, the first marathon, I thought, at 101, what happened to wisdom? <laughs> You're going to run how far and why? Um, anyway, but, but I, I share this kind of stuff because there's a, a tugging on us. You, we will all have to at some point face the eternity. I mean, it may be the death of a hamster uh, or a goldfish. It may be the death of a brother or a sister or a mother or a father. You're going to deal with it. And you are going to ask the proverbial question, what happens? What happens? In our feeble understanding, the Bible teaches us that there is life after death for every soul. John chapter 5 and Matthew 25 both says there is a resurrection. There's a resurrection to eternal death or there's a resurrection to eternal life. Life after death is reality and the Bible is extraordinarily clear on it. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is concerned about the importance I shared with you. 104 times the resurrection is spoken of in the New Testament. That's pretty... Extensive, And it goes back to the Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 text. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Okay, and I, if you, I don't want to repeat that message that was last week. But if you take this text, chapter 15, and I am just going to do an overview. You're not going to believe this. We are going to cover 58 verses now. Ooh. Now. I hope everybody's not... Ever, did you know God wants you to fast? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Everybody's like, what? No, just kidding. If you take this text, you can break it into six sections. And I'm going to give you the six sections tonight, today. And, and, and I'm not going to... Do not hold my feet to the fire on the names of the titles of the text. Okay, because these, that is in flux with me. All right, but he breaks it out, and the first section is the outline that you have in right now, and it is the proof of the resurrection, proof of the resurrection, and and it basically shows up in three areas. All right, the first area is the church. The church does not exist without the resurrection. 
Do you understand it? I mean, do you realize how... What do you mean? Well, think about this. Tonight we're going to have a Bible study. Okay, and we're going to talk about Jesus and walking with Jesus. Okay? Sounds, sounds good? Okay, but there is no resurrection, so when you die, nothing happens. So why would you come to the Bible study? I want to show you how to live a righteous life. But there is no resurrection, so why would you care? All right? And that's what he says in, in the first two verses. I make known to you, brother, the gospel which I have preached, which you have received, which you stand, by which you were saved, if you hold fast. If you hold fast. So the first evidence that we have is, is, is the church. The second one is scripture. And he's speaking Old Testament. New Testament isn't written when he writes this letter. He's saying the Old Testament says that there's a resurrection. And then, then he says, oh, and if that don't work, well, there's a whole bunch of eyewitnesses of the resurrection. See, the church was born where? From the gospel. And what is inclusive in the gospel? The resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. And that's what he says here. You have to hold fast to this. What does that mean? You cannot have a said faith. You have to have a real faith. A said faith won't work. And I watch people who can speak fluent Christianese, but the lives they live, they do not believe in the resurrection. You can have faith. I've never met a human being in 51 years who doesn't have faith. In something. But do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Listen, resurrection of the dead is not a common thing. It isn't like, well, yeah, we do it every, you know, I've seen Bob, he was dead and he got up. That's no big deal. And you act like a big surprise. Okay? I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. But I do know this. Absent from the body, present from the Lord. I've also been at the grave of Jesus Christ. Guess what? He's not there. And if he was there or any part of him was around there, we'd have him church or a monument. You go to Israel, that's everything is. It's church here, church here. We've got a church where Peter was stoned. We've got a church where the Mount of the Holy Cross. We've got a church here. We've got a church on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. We've got a church. Everywhere you go, there's a church. If something happened, there's a church. Usually two, Greek Orthodox and Catholic. And both of them claim to be the exact place. Okay? But he's not there. See, the church was born from the gospel. And your faith is based on the cornerstone is the resurrection. Listen, you're, it's not based on the teachings of Christ. The teachings of Christ are nil if he didn't get up from the grave. It ain't based on the death of Christ. Let me tell you something. He don't get up from the... He's just another dead man. You've got to get a hold of this. If he did not resurrect, we're to be pitied. We'll see that in a minute. Why? Because, I don't know, maybe we're in the, what did I call it? Transmigration of souls. Pete and repeat, we're sitting on a fence and here I come again. The second thing that you see is the testimony of the scriptures, the proof of the scriptures. The scriptures tell us. Verse 3. I deliver you as first importance. That I received Christ died for our sins according to what? And the scriptures he's talking about is not New Testament. New Testament isn't finished. He's referring to Psalm 22. 
Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion. Isaiah 53 describes the crucifixion and the martyrdom of the Messiah. And you have to understand that every lamb that was killed in the history of Israel is a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But in verse 4, he says, as it was said, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. What? According to the scriptures, Psalm 16, verse 10, the Holy One of God will never decay in the grave. That's what he says. And it's funny, you, you look at the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. You know what that means? They didn't believe in their Bible. They carried their Bibles. They operated by their Bibles. They even said it's on a third day, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how many days? Three days. There's a picture. But I think the one that really messes with everybody begins there in 5 through 7, the testimony of eyewitnesses. You know, we have more eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses documentation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than we do of a man named Plato. That's amazing to me. He appeared to Cephas, a.k.a. Peter. That was his alias. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. And then, just to make sure you weren't just, you know, a bunch of guys just having hallucinations, he appeared to 500. Now listen, if you got 500 eyewitnesses in a court proceedings, somebody's going to jail. Right? Or they're going to be concluded innocent. If you've got 500 witnesses. And then he appeared to James. Okay, the reason he brings in James, James was the first pastor. He's pastor of First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. Okay? He appears to James. Then to all apostles. Now, here, the argument would come out next then. Well, come on now. That sect, they were expected him. They were wanting to see him. They thought they saw him. They were eager to see him. They wanted to see him out of the grave. They wanted to have this king. They wanted this to happen. And Paul said, but what about me? The untimely born. I'm an eyewitness too of the resurrection. And let me tell you something. I wasn't expecting him to return. Nor... Was I looking for him to return? Nor did I care whether he had returned. I was a persecutor of the church. And I saw him. And it says we all preached the same message. Those who hung out with him expecting his return, they preached the same message that I did and I didn't even like them. We all agree. They were told, some were expecting, I wasn't. But guess what? I still agree. I still agree. So the proof of the resurrection, Paul says, argue against it. All right, we've got over 500 witnesses. I'm a witness and I was not one of his followers. <coughs> Second part of it is the importance the importance of the resurrections, verses 12 through 19. Because the question comes up in verse 12, how can someone among you say, 
There is no resurrection. And I shared with you a little bit of that. We're going to have a Bible study this week. We're going to learn how to live in righteousness. Oh, by, by the way, when you die, you're done. It's all over but the crying. If there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. That's what he says in verse 13. And if Christ has been, has not been raised, then our preaching is what? In vain. It is in vain. Moreover, your faith is in vain. What are you guys doing meeting every Sunday? If there's no resurrection, you listen to us and what we were preaching was the resurrection. And if you think we're silly, you're following us. And that's basically what he's saying. Our preaching is silly and your faith is in vain. You're wasting your time. Do you see there's... A significant importance there to the resurrection. Moreover, verse 15, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. <coughs> We're fake. We're fake. And then he gets you, hits them right between the eyes. We're false witnesses, but you know what that means? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Guess what? You're still in your sins. See, he bore our sins on his body. Do you, let me tell you something. You've got to get a hold of this, people. I watch people play with this, and this is so simple. And yet we sit there and kind of uh, try, try to philosophize. What killed Christ? Anybody know? Death on a cross? No. Yours and my sin killed Christ. Please understand that. The penalty of sin is death. What killed Christ? Sin. He was sinless. His death was your sin. You've got to get a hold of that. It, well, it was them. Listen, he was sinless. He would have never died. It's impossible. He was sinless. The penalty of sin is death. Oh. <laughs> if he didn't conquer sin, we're in trouble. Listen, he died bearing our sin. If he never rose, then guess what? Sin killed him. And he couldn't conquer it. Which means, you know what? We are dead meat. Do you see, understand how important the resurrection is? This isn't just, well, I think it's just a misunderstanding. No! If a person does not believe in the bodily resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ, they are not saved. They're not close to salvation. They are clueless. And guess what? They're still under sin. If he didn't conquer sin, we're in trouble. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have what? Perished. You know what falling asleep in Christ is, right? Dead. Those people who believed in Christ, if there's no resurrection, then they're dead. They've perished. They're gone. They're history. Hasta la bye-bye. Didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Anyway. And if we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. 
We are all men to be pitied. Why? We've been preaching something that everybody's saying is we're false. So you see, there's proof of the resurrection. There's importance of the resurrection. And then verses 20 through 28 is the plan of resurrection. And this is amazing stuff. This is going to take us some time to get through, by the way, in case you're, you're wondering, because this thing here is packed. Okay. He says there in verse 20, and it's, he, he states it in verse 20, and he goes back to the first 11 verses based on truth. The truth of, uh, of the proof of the resurrection. It is true. But, now Christ being, ra- has been raised from the dead. Alright, Paul, Paul says this isn't even, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. But I have to. Why? Somebody's dropped that seed and I am going to destroy, obliterate that seed now because this thing can't sit around. So here's what he says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Again, asleep is death. First fruit. Okay. Do you, it's, it's, that is hard for us. I grew up with a semi quasi agricultural background. Okay. Uh, I had aunts and uncles who were farmers and ranchers, um, and, and then then my family, my parents worked in the factories. Okay, but but um, we don't understand first fruits. Okay, and I'll be honest with you, my wife would testify that when it comes to growing things, he still doesn't understand first fruits. Um, he doesn't understand the growth of anything. He just he water the plants and they die. I can talk to the plants and they die. I can put them in the sun and they die. I can take them in the shade. They die. If I'm in their presence, they die. It's just my effervescent attitude. Okay? The first fruits did not come in with the rest. I remember being able to take a section. You know what a section is? 600 and some odd acres, 48 acres. Okay? And you can plant that in a day. Okay? Do you think they could do that? In Israel, at the time of the New Testament? No, because you had some guy out there <laughs> and sowing seeds. And what would happen is, over days, all right, you would have the crop planted, meaning that you would have a whole batch that would come up early and go to fruit before the rest of it would. That's what he's talking about, all right? Uh, and, and, and the principle that is behind it, God says, I want the first fruit because I want you to stick your neck out in faith. I want the first. Okay? Whatever comes in the first, you gather all of it and you give it to me. Okay? Trust me to bring in the rest. All right. And if you trust me, then you'll give me everything that you've already got. And I'll take care of you. This is what I call um, the greatest against pragmatism at all. Because it defies logic. Gather it all. How about I gather it all in and then I give you your share? Is it like the joke? You know, they really put the circle. I'll just throw money up in the air and whatever lands in the circle God can have. And guy says, no, do it. If you really want to have faith, throw it up in the air and whatever he wants, he'll take us. It's in the air. I don't think so. 
It's a principle for giving. If you give to God the top, the first, he'll bring in the rest. This is the difference between what I call... This is living... There's living faith and then there's living by faith. And what he always asks for, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 10 through 10 and 11, is I want the first fruit because I want to see your faith. Show me your faith. That's what James says. And I'll show you my faith by my works. This was based on the feast of Passover. It comes in at the time of the harvest of the barley crop. That's when Passover comes in. And you were to bring a sheaf of first fruit barley and you give it to the priest. And he makes a statement there that it has to be from a common field. The common field. Because God knows us. We would have our God field and then we'd have our field. All right, and we would just say God's field just didn't produce nothing. God must not have wanted anything. So thanks for giving me my field. Tell me we don't do that. Tell me we don't do that. You would take it from the common field, the barley. And the priest would take it and he'd do his best not to bruise it because it was not to be bruised. And he'd take a pan, had holes in it, and he'd put the grain heads over a fire. And he would scorch every grain. Every grain would be touched by fire. And then he would toss it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away. Okay, this is for barley. And then he would take the grain heads... And it'd be ground into flour, and then it'd be dedicated and consecrated. The flour would be, and then it would be baked into bread, and it'd be eaten by the priest. Okay, why? It was a sign. It was a sign to the nation of Israel, take care of the men who are interceding between you and me first. And when you do that, then I'll take care of you. Right? That model hasn't changed. The full harvest will come in when the first goes to God. And until the first harvest comes in, until it's a pattern of our faith, it won't happen. Paul's saying, you know what? Christ is like that. Christ is the first fruit. Christ is the first fruit of the dead. He is the first one out of the grave. His life was cut off like the grain. He was offered to God. He was burned by the fire of death. He was the first fruit. He was dedicated and he was made into the bread of life. And then you and I are now the harvest of which Christ is the first fruit. We are what God used in the purchase. You offer up your best first. And you and I reap the benefit, the profit of that first offering. Do you know do you find that fascinating? I find that just mind-boggling. Why? Who made the first offering? God did. That's crazy, ain't it? You know how crazy that is? Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? What? Follow me. Whoa, wait. Just on Sundays. If you read through this, since by a man, Adam, that would be Adam, death came by. The first fruit of Adam was what? Death. Look what I growed. 
Nah, I don't want to hear the jokes about me and my plant appeal. By a man, Christ, came the resurrection from the dead. This is good stuff. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Just as Adam impacted every man, guess what? Christ can impact every man. This is not universalism. Please. In Christ, all will be made alive. But each in its order, Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are in Christ win. Did you get that? Please understand that. That's a very significant statement right there. You will receive a resurrected body when? I can tell you when. At his coming. But he also tells me, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's a spiritual resurrection. Your spirit is in his presence. You will receive the dead in Christ will rise first. They will get a resurrected body first. Why? Because over it did. And it's in a twinkling of an eye. You're really going to know it. Okay? And you will get your resurrected body when? It says right there. At his coming. At his coming. Then, see what it says? Then, what happens? Comes the end. Now watch what he does. Watch what he does. He hands over, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, <coughs> when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. You see what just happened? For he must reign until he has put all of his enemy under his feet. When everything is in creation is subjected back to Jesus Christ, what does he do with it? He gives it back to the Father. Why? It's a big circle. It just went in a big old circle. God created it. He started it out in the beginning. Adam brought the seed of death. Jesus Christ brought the seed of the resurrection. We are all resurrected. All authority will give back to Him when it's all back into its position. Guess where it ends up? Do you realize that you who sit here today who are truly believers in Jesus Christ are a gift of, from Jesus Christ to God the Father? Because God raised Jesus from the dead, received the penalty for sin, and now God, Jesus, takes you, makes you as holy as He is, clothes you in His righteousness, gives you a resurrected body that no longer has the ability to sin at His coming, and then presents you back to the Father. And it's just a big circle. Huge circle. Two thousand years. That's good stuff. There's a little more detail in that, but we'll deal with that in the weeks to come. The last enemy that will be abolished is what? Death. The physical death. The physical death will be done away with. The last enemy is death. And then, now watch what he says. This is so cool. For, <laughs> it is. For he has put all things in subjection. Now, the he here is God. Subjection is under his feet. And when he says all things are put in subjection, 
It is evidence that he is accepted. All right. Everything is subjected to Jesus Christ except God the Father. Okay. Remember, Jesus came down here and did what? Learned obedience. God the Father does not need to learn obedience. Okay. And please don't tell him he does. And if you do, go to another county. Okay. Except for him who put all things in subjection to him. Do you see that? God the Father says, now all of creation is under your authority. But God's not a created being. So I am not under your authority. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself, who also is subjected to the one who subjected all things. And he said, what do you need? Who is subjected all things to him so that God may be the all in all. When is God the all in all? Think about it. Grab this just quick. I'll give you a little more information in the months to come. But he takes. All right. Death came to one man. Death plagued the planet. I mean, let's be realistic. An oak tree dies. Okay, the, the, what do they call them? Big red ones? The red, redwood trees, they die. Everything that is alive has this problem. It dies. But the first fruit bore the resurrection, all right, and now that has been offered up to man. Here it is. You can live. And when you come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now set for the priming of the pump that you will become a resurrected holy being. And you will only be as righteous as Jesus Christ. When will that happen? When he comes. I will be as a resurrected body. But anyway, uh, but when all that has taken place, everybody stands with a resurrected body. And then God says, it's all now under my subjection. And because it's all under my subjection, I do what? Give it back to he who started it. You know, I look at it this way. God the Father loved Jesus so much that he wanted to give his son the perfect gift, a bride. Jesus Christ loved God the Father so much that he wanted a bride that was absolutely as holy and as perfect as he was. And when he gets his bride that the Father has given it, he makes her holy and pure. And then what does he do? Presents her back to God the Father who started it. There's a little more detail in that. That's sort of a, whoa. How do you get all that? Okay. But do you understand that? When the complete comes, the teleos, the final thing, at the end of the harvest, there will be this resurrection. We'll all be gathered. The last enemy is destroyed. Who is that? Death. Death no longer has dominion. Period. It's all gone. Okay. The details. Picture. Adam came, the seed of death came. Next, Jesus came, the seed of life came. Every individual that is in a de-evolving carcass, that would be us, Christ comes and raises and starts the new. That's the kingdom, people. That's the kingdom of heaven. It will be this. Creation will be subdued. It will all be back to Him. All right? Then He takes, in verses 29... Through 34, what I call uh, 
building on the importance of the resurrection, um, the value of the resurrection. Now, verse 29, <laughs> I've been wrestling with for about seven and a half years. And to date, I have found 40 different views of verse 29. Okay? Um, and I will give you what I believe is the absolute view when we get to this verse. Okay? Otherwise, what will those, uh, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? And that's my question too. But anyway, um, it's obvious that they were wanting to help dead people. Uh, I, there is a group of people who believe that they are the tribe of Dan. Um, and uh, they were trying to get a list of all the names of the Jews that were killed during the Holocaust so that they could be baptized for those Jews. Um, and needless to say, the Jewish people were shall I say, incensed about it, that uh, a bunch of Gentiles who think they're Jewish uh, would be baptized for them. Um, it, it's... Uh, <coughs> Paul's question in the text is, why in the world would you do this? Because, again, the argument is... is is there a resurrection from the dead? Um, I will deal with this when it comes because there are some dangers here. Because he makes this statement in verse 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? I mean, if there's no resurrection from the dead, why would I keep doing what I'm doing? Okay, I mean, he's already been stoned and left for dead before he gets here. Okay, he's sort of had some bad experience with this gospel preaching thing. Why would I keep doing this if I could end up dead? Verse 31, he says, Oh, by the way, I affirm, brethren, and boasting in you, which I am in Christ. I die daily. Daily I die. Why? I, Paul, the desires, the wants of me. Why would I sacrifice all of my desires and all of my wants if there is no resurrection? I affirm, brethren. And then he makes a statement in verse 32, and if from human motives I fought wild beasts at Ephesus, and everybody said, well, what does that mean? Well, that's something about fighting wild beasts at Ephesus. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't have any more detail than what he just gave me there. Okay? After humanly efforts in the manner of men, if there's nothing here for the resurrection, then why would I do this? Come sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. Okay, look what he says here. This this is good for you and I to hear this. Become sober-minded. You know what that means, right? Don't be drunk-minded. <laughs> well, just be sober-minded. All right? As you ought, stop sinning. Why? For some have no knowledge of God. I speak to you to their shame. Stop acting like people who do not have knowledge of God. Stop acting like that. Why? Because he brings back in verses 35 through um, 49... Well, then what does this resurrection look like? And he goes through it really quick, 42. So also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in a perishable body, it is raised as an imperishable body. So what does the resurrection of the dead look like? A body that has the ability that does not perish. It can't get old. You know, I heard somebody tell me one time, 
He's actually a professor. He says, every Christian is resurrected as a 35-year-old male. And I thought, well, that sounds like a blast. Okay, a bunch of know-it-all guys. Yuck. Um, I just doesn't sound right. And then I start doing some research in the scripture and I realize that, yo, professor, I thought we were as different as the stars are into heaven. And I asked him that question and got in trouble. But anyway, um, I just asked. I don't want to hang out for eternity with a bunch of 33 year old males. You know, I don't care if they are perfect. It just, that's sort of like playing golf. Played 18 holes. What'd you shoot? An 18. <laughs> Golf would be boring. <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd want to slice something. Hit it backwards. It still goes in the hole. <laughs> oh, you play basketball. One guy stands on the other end. Other guy, and we just swap baskets. First one to a million wins. All right. What does his body look like? What is this bodily resurrection? How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And he makes it verse 36. You fool. It's like the Japanese. Did you ever hear about the, Jap- the missionaries who went to Japan? They had the summarize there and they kept talking about this resurrection and it freaked the summarize out. So they would cut the heads off the missionaries and take them to the north end of the island and pile them up and take the bodies down on the south end of the island of Japan and pile them up. And they figured that there's going to be a resurrection. God won't be able to get all the heads on the right bodies. And I just look at him and say, you fool. (laughs) Gee, many crickets. He's raising the dead and you're worried about whether he gets the right head on the right body. I'm worried about whether we're all going to be 33-year-old males. (laughs) I don't want to hang out with a bunch of dudes for eternity. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You take a seed, what happens? It dies. That which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain perhaps of wheat or something else. <coughs> but, God, but God gives a body just as He wishes. Did you get that? He's already got one 33-year-old male. And to each of the seeds of the body is own. All flesh is not the same. And then He starts going through. This is a good text that says, if you think you're going to be a 33-year-old male, that's better than being a 33-year-old pigeon. There is one glory in the Son, glory of the Father. Glory from the moon, there's a glory from the stars. Stars differ from the star in glory, don't they? What? They're all different. They're all different. So also is the resurrection of the body. It is sown in perishable body. It is raised what? Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That power thing is an amazing thing to me. Think about Jesus telling the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, that would be in the throne room of God. That is on the other side of what you know as creation. That is like fast. Because creation, if you travel at life, you ain't going to get there and I don't know how many billions of light years if you're traveling at speed of light. But he told the thief on the cross, you will be imperishable and you will be instantly in the other side of creation. And I don't know how that works. Okay? Uh, but I bet there's no jet lag. Anyway, um, and it made that face going, Whoa! <laughs> I don't know. But it, do you see what I'm trying to get at? You don't understand. He sat down and ate some fish, remember? And then he gets up and walks through the wall. I, I always pondered that. Did the fish go through the wall with him? 
they weren't resurrected. I'm, uh, never mind. That's, that's the way my mind thinks. <laughs> the sinful stuff just fell out on the floor. <laughs> and he, he went through the wall. You clean it up, Peter. You're the big mouth. You're the one who gave him the fish. I, I don't know. You eat. He said he was hungry. Can I have something to eat? So what does it look like? I don't know. First man, Adam, became a living soul. Last man became a living spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but of natural. Verses 50 through 58 is what I call the victory. The victory of the resurrection. I say to this, brethren, flesh and bone cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, look, watch this. This is really good stuff here. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You know what that means, right? Nobody's heard this before I wrote it. All right? We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Okay? We will not all die, but we will all receive a resurrected body. Now, this thing where you see the movies and all the rest of them, I have no idea. All I know is that at one moment, you know, I remember that we better get a sunroof in the car because if he pulls me... out and like boom right boom boom let me out no i don't think he's worried about getting your butt out of the car um and then i've heard people say well you're gonna have all these dead bodies laying around and these other people i don't know how it's going to work but you know what when it happens there's not going to be any doubt in your mind that it's happened okay you'll go from an airplane ride to a plane air ride okay and it's imperishable or perishable will become imperishable. And you know what? When it happens to you, you won't be saying, Hey, Terry, is this really this? Because I'll be doing the same thing you're going, Oh, whoa. <laughs> Why? There's a mystery. We're not all going to fall asleep. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will raise imperishable. We'll all be changed. Poof! That's victory. Guess what? Dead is dead. It's defeated. It has no mastery over me. It can't do anything. It can't hurt me. It can't cause me grief. It can't do a thing to me. I like that. That is the victory. You read it all through. The imperishable we will have put on the imperishable and the mortal we will have put on immortality. And then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Amen. Amen. 58 verses, one message. And you probably got more questions than when I started, but we'll deal with them and we come. Please understand this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves the victory of the saints of God. Okay? And if I have five over 500 witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm fine with it. I have absolutely no problem with it. Okay? And I know that I will receive a resurrected body and it will no longer 
have any power to sin and it will be setting me in a position where I will be removed absolutely eternity from any place of sin. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that your son, the first fruits, paid the price for our sins. Father, I don't understand that at all. Father, we are so indebted to you. Allow us to bow before your throne. Allow us to bow before you, Father, the author and the finisher of our faith. That, Father, we may be overwhelmed with the resurrection, knowing that it is before us, knowing that if we sleep, Father, if we sleep before the Lord comes, we'll still be with him. And Father, if we are still here when he comes, then in the twinkling of an eye, the sound of the trumpet, we will hear. We who remain will be resurrected and be in this air with the Lord. I don't, I don't, that's, Father, understanding that when it is all put in subjection to him, he will present it all back to you. Father, help us to live in light of this truth. Walk worthy of our calling. In Christ's name.